0: Says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 5 12 through 21, which is the end of the chapter, says 31 there, but we're not adding 10 verses. That would be wrong. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you've ever been in a lake or at a pond or even the ocean maybe and you've taken a big rock or something and you've just dropped it in just to hear the plump. Maybe that's just me. I think there's an ARSM or SMRA or something like that that has to do with that. And you just drop it in and what you notice is it goes bloop and then you watch ripples go out like that. A lot of times when we think about sin and we think about Adam's sin, we can think of it like ripples. Well, that because of Adam, then there was just this ripple effect that keeps going and going and going and going. And that is one way to look at it. Except we then have to add another layer. I love my mom and dad. But sometimes when I look in the mirror and I see them, it freaks me out. Not because they're not beautiful people. They're very beautiful people. But because I recognize that as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more and more like them. And sadly, not just in my looks... Actually, my dad's a whole lot more handsome than I am. He's got a full head of hair. Not that baldness is ugly. bald's beautiful. But I also recognize that there are character traits that come out of me that are similar to them. I did it again today where we were singing a song and I jumped ahead of where those who are actually leading us in song knew we were supposed to be. But in my mind, I thought we were supposed to be someplace else, that it needed to come right away. And so I said the word, and sometimes I say it really loudly and try and get people to go the way I want to go. That's the way my dad does it when he's in church as well. He just sings his song, and most everybody just sings what he's singing, regardless of what's happening up here, (laughs) even if it's the wrong words. I never knew I was going to have that trait. Dare say I don't necessarily want that trait. But we have that, either by heritage or by environment, right? We pick up these things that continue to go. Last week when we started this sermon, we talked about Adam and Eve's original sin, the fact that they were there, they saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was present. They recognized that they were told that they should not eat of that, and yet they took it anyway. And one of the things that we talked about was that what that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was about was less about having knowledge of then what is good and evil, but the experience of actually breaking trust with God, the experience of actually eating of the fruit, of taking it and smelling it and tasting it. That, that's how the, the knowledge of good and evil comes about, is through experience And when that happened, we recognized that shame entered into the world. And when shame entered into the world, it caused separation to take place, that we don't want to be seen in our shame, and so we move away from community the way that we were designed to be created. And then we decide that it can't possibly be our fault, so we begin to blame shift to those around us. And because we build these walls of hostility between us to keep us separated so no one can see our shame and we begin to blame other people, then our hostility arises towards others. And we have this idea that it is me versus them. And it was at that point that I said, get off my back, pastor. I'm a pretty decent person. But what we see Romans telling us is that, in fact, You aren't that decent at all. That it is because of Adam's sin that we too are in sin. That we are sinners. You recognize what he's saying there. Is there, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, right? You see it there where he says, even though that the free gift is not like the trespass for many died through one man's trespass. He said that one trespass leads to condemnation for all men. That in Adam we all are then disobedient. We have to recognize that Adam, from the very beginning of the world in creation, is chosen and created by God in order to be a representative for all of humanity. That he is the one that God has perfectly chosen has created and breathed life into so that he could be in that relationship, whole relationship with God. And what is at the heart of the matter when Adam and Eve take that fruit and they discover and experience what separation is? At the heart of the matter is trust. The ripple effect of that sin is that we then move to a place of distrust. Satan said, God surely can't mean that. And they believed him. And yet we still hear that over and over again in our own heads. God surely didn't mean that. And we believe it. See, we move to a place of distrust because the sin that came through the one man, the representative of all men, And we decide, we move and say, I'm not sure that God is trustworthy. Perhaps I can do better. I'm not a huge fan of testimonies. But I think it might be good for you to hear just a little bit about my life. I'm a pastor's son, who's the grandson of a pastor. And so I had all the right answers from an early age. And I firmly believe that God loved me. Now, part of that was because my parents loved me deeply and radically. And so I grew up thinking, why wouldn't everybody want to love me? Don't laugh, because I still believe it. When I was eight years old, my grandfather passed away, and I heard my mom and dad downstairs, and it was early, early in the morning, and I wasn't sure what was going on, and so I walked down the stairs to look at my dad, and my dad was crying. He was broken because his father had died of a massive heart attack. And at eight years old, my initial thought was, I'm sure you love me, God, but I will never let you do that to me. I don't ever want to feel that pain. And it was at that moment that I realized I couldn't trust God with my heart, with my emotions, with really anything outside of the fact that I'm so lovable that he has to love me anyway. And for many years, I lived my life in a way, teaching Sunday school, starting drama groups at the church, going to Bible college, believing that as long as I just knew God loved me, that everything was all right. But God's love calls us to trust God's love says, I don't want you to feel shame. See, because whenever I believed that God just loved me, when I would do something wrong, I would think that maybe God might not love me, and so I would have shame, and I would hide myself from other people because I definitely didn't want them to know about it because I was such a good guy, why wouldn't everybody want to love me? And if I proved them wrong, then what? And then I would begin to blame shift and say, well, it's everybody else's fault or it's that person's fault or it's this situation that happened. And if, God, if you'd only make my life easier, then I wouldn't feel this stress and I wouldn't go to old habits to deal with that stress. And the reality is it made me a very angry person. Because I couldn't trust people. Because I definitely couldn't trust myself because I had no trust in the God who says from the very beginning, my steadfast love pursues you to bring you in to whole relationship with me. And what we see here in the unfolding of my life is the same thing that happened in Adam's life. It's the same thing that happens in all of our lives. That because we reside in Adam's sin, because it is not just his sin that was done, it is our sin that takes place in that. That we have the automatic movement towards separation and shame and blame shifting and hostility towards God and ultimately to death. That's what he says here, that it's because of Adam's sin that it became your sin. Well, how does that work? That can't possibly rewrite. Our individualistic nature, our desire to be proven as who we are, pushes against that and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I should have an opportunity to prove myself as good. I should have an opportunity to prove myself as righteous. I should have an opportunity to prove myself as someone who is worthy of your love. Don't put Adam's stuff on me. I'm not part of the ripple. I'm not part of his heritage. Except we are except we are in the fact that we think maybe I would have done better. But answer this. If Adam was the one created by God who had the breath of life breathed into him so that he would... How do you think you would be better? See, God perfectly chose him from the beginning to be the one to represent us and then he failed. And we do. Why? Because we are in him. (laughs) And if you say to yourself, that's not fair, remember this, as we see in the rest of this passage. That if God chose that one man to be the representative for that trespass that enters in, God then chooses one man in Jesus Christ to bring new life, to bring a new humanity. And that if you think, and I think, that if he would just give me a shot, then that means I have to live in perfect community with God all on my own, through my own power, through my own will. Right? Because if it requires one man to bring all of this sin into the world, then it only requires one man to bring life into this world. But if we want to all be judged on our own selves and our own merits, then guess what? It requires you to live in perfect community with God. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Yes, it's his holiness. Yes, it's his majesty. Yes, it's his purity and his truth. But above all that, his glory is this. His steadfast, loving community. See, because God lives in Trinity. And then he said, I will create man and woman in my image. And so we live in community, in a place that it is not just me as the individual anymore, it is me as the particular person in God's Son. And it gives us the power to live out what God has called us to. But the ripple effect is this, is that we live lives of distrust. We're not sure we can believe it. And Jesus says, God says through Paul, you can't. That's why I sent Jesus. It would be really easy to hear these words and think, oh, you're just telling me I'm a bad guy. You're just telling me I'm a bad uh, woman, that I'm not... Willing to have love and and yes, that, that can happen to us. But see what happened at creation when the fall comes and this distrust enters in, there becomes two types of people that live out of that. One is that they live and say, I will be able to do this. I'm gonna be able to make this happen. I'm gonna be able to be righteous. I'm gonna work as hard as I can. I'm gonna set up the rules in the right way, and I'm gonna tick the boxes, and I'm gonna make sure that I look good for God. Or for people, or for myself. And then there's other people who they step out of that in that separation and in that shame, and they say, there's no way I'll be able to accomplish this. There's no way that I'll be able to get it right. There's no way. And so we either have really super prideful people or we have really people who see themselves as unworthy of the love. So you have somebody who says, I hear about that love, but I can't grab hold of it because I can't trust it. Or you have people who say, I hear about that love and I understand I have to earn it and get it because I can't trust that you'll give it to me freely. What can spring out of that as a response is we have legalism that can come up and say, I've got to do right. I've got to do the good things. I've got to make sure that I've got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and make sure every, and then the best thing is for everybody else to operate that way. So I'm not tempted anymore. Or over here, what can happen is people go, I'm just going to rely on the love of God. I can't trust that it's real. I can't hold on to it. But, but clearly, I'm not going to be able to live a holy life, so I might as well not even try. And I'll just let it all hang out and be as loose as possible with my life and just let it happen. And God will take care of it. So one relies heavily on the holiness of God and one relies heavily on this steadfast love of God. Except that God is both. Holy and filled with steadfast love. And so when we just choose one or the other because our distrust the ripple effect of Adam's sin keeps us from seeing who God really is, then we miss that it's actually not up to us. That we could never get ourselves out of the ripple. That I, even if I do plastic surgery that would make me look like a completely different person than I am the moment I would look in the mirror there would be a smirk or a a, a thing that I might say that would be just like my parents that we can't break free except for Christ who came and broke us free And so today we can go, I have a hard time trusting. And that's normal because that's sin. To trust that God is good, that he's steadfast in his love, that he is holy and has made us holy. But as we'll learn more and more next week, It is through Christ that we stand. John Stott, in his commentary about this particular passage, says that we have two humanities presented to us we have the humanity of Adam, and we have the new humanity of Christ. The the humanity of Adam is one that is broken one that is distrustful, one that in this distrust has to set up systems and places where we can find our own value and our own righteousness. The humanity of Adam is one that loves sparingly, that seeks justice for self, that is not outward focused and looking at God's glory, but it is inward focused saying, how do I make myself be glorified? But the humanity of Christ, that new humanity, is as it always should have been, as it is now in the Father that is full of steadfast love moving towards those seeking restorative justice for those around them and themselves, who sees their heart as an operation of God's heart moving in the world, who is able to begin to think the thoughts of God, to look out and see the things that He is doing and know that it is a place to give glory and praise to Him. The new humanity is one that doesn't rely on old schemes or ways to prove self, but rest surely in the knowledge that it is in Christ alone that I have worth, that I am loved deeply in him. And ultimately, John Stott says this, that the old humanity is death and the new humanity is life. And so as we talk about coming back together Again, as we begin to look at our world and say, yeah, how do we live together after COVID's over? But how do we live together where there seems to be so much animosity to people? We have to go back to the beginning and say sin came into the world, that it caused shame and separation and blame shifting and hostility. And in that, it springs from the root of distrust. And that distrust remains because Adam sinned and I'm in Adam's sin. Now, that doesn't mean I just get to blame Adam, because I myself distrust as well. And in that place, then, we sit today and we go, okay, but what's the answer to that? It's good that we know the problem and how it started, but what's the answer to that? Well, Romans here gives us an identification of what that is, and it's one man, Jesus Christ. And this isn't like a two-parter, but it is. And unlike here, where shows on TV run every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which blows me away, by the way, that Master MasterChef somehow is on Monday and Tuesday and Sunday, and they're, you know, because that doesn't happen where I come from, my passport country. We had to wait a week to find out what happened. You kind of have to wait a week. Because next week, we'll delve in to what God has done. And that's Jesus Christ. So one, I invite you to that. Come back next week and be with us. The overflow will be open and we might have to do that because we're really close. Nobody count? (laughs) We're good? Yeah, thanks, Michelle. But also, let me say, Go to the Romans class. It happens at 9 o'clock on Sundays because it's going to dig deeper into this. It's going to walk you through that place. <laughs> Hello, Lord. <laughs> and then let me say this. As much as after hearing this uh, talk, you might be thinking to yourself, I've just got to trust more. I've just got to trust more. I've just got to trust more. can't. You can't force yourself to do it. But we can seek God's face, and he has already and will continue to do it for you. So let me pray. Father, when we look at ourselves, we can say we're worms. Oh, we don't like to hear that about ourselves. We can say we're not that great of people. We don't even like hearing that about ourselves. But in our heart, when Holy Spirit is moving, we recognize that that's true. And it is through you that we become good. It is through you that we become righteous. And so, Father, don't let our hearts be heavy. Don't let us be crushed by our sin. Outside of that, we need to be crushed so that we see you. Let us recognize our brokenness so that we can be bold in grabbing hold of your steadfast love and mercy and justice and beauty, not just for ourselves, but for all those that we encounter. That will be your sweet aroma of life, of the new humanity, of those who are for one another and not against one another. Guide us this week. Prepare our hearts even to hear what you have to bring to us next week. And in all of that, Lord, if there is anything that was not your words today, let them be burned up. Let them fly away. Let them be washed away. Let them never take resident in our heart. But if these words are your words, Lord, if something has been spoken that is from you, let it take deep root in who we are and in our hearts so that it'll bear good fruit for you and bring glory to your name. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together in response to these words?